welcome to Western Reaches episode 19. We are a Toshi Station podcast and I am one of your hosts, Seth. With me as always is Megan. Red 5 standing by. <laughs> and today we're going to do the same as usual, talk a little bit about the books we're reading, talk a bit about the games we're playing. And today we have a very cool guest on to talk about virtual reality, um, Justine Koller, who works at Alter. I think that's what it's called. Alter, which is a Melbourne virtual reality uh, company who are making a social VR game called A Township Tale, which I got to try out at PAX. So listen to the end for that, because she's really cool and Township Tale is very cool. Before then, though, we're going to talk a bit about books. Megan, what have you been reading recently? So I finished my 100 book challenge. I um, did the Goodreads. Yes. (laughs) Um, Did the Goodreads challenge to read 100 books this year and uh, succeeded in doing that earlier this week. I actually finished two at around the same time. So I feel pretty accomplished. It was difficult. There was strategizing involved, but I feel that I have read I feel that I'm more conversant about contemporary science fiction because of having done it. So that was good. I'm really impressed. That is a lot of books. Thank you. I mean, here and there, there was a novella in there. I read like a bunch <laughs> of Cat Valenti novellas. So there was a little bit of cheating. There were some, you know, quite short books, but there were a hundred of them. I mean, it doesn't say a hundred no- novel length books. It just says a hundred books. It's fine. <laughs> 100 copies of War and Peace only. Oh, no. Yeah. Although I did actually, I think back at the beginning of the year, one of the first things I did for the challenge was the, I finished Mason and Dixon. So I was just all over the scale in terms of length of books. Nice. But the, the, yeah, I I kind of recommend that. Goodreads is, it uh, gamifies itself very nicely. Yeah, I might try that next year. I sort of paced myself, like in 2016, I went, oh, I'm just going to track how many I read, and then I'll do my challenge based on that, based on making it a little more difficult than what I would have done normally. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So the last two that I read for that, um, the first one was Halo Smoke and Shadow, which is the newest Halo book. It uh, it came out not too long ago. Uh, Simon and Schuster were actually nice enough to send me a review copy, and it's it's good. Um, it's written by Kelly Gay, who also had a story in Fractures, this short story collection, and that was basically the beginning of this novel, um, or, or the sort of prequel to it so it's about the daughter of the captain on spirit of fire so if you know halo wars which frankly i don't know as well as i know (laughs) other parts of the canon this is part of that story and it, it was just a really solid halo story like nothing extraordinary it wasn't amazingly written but it had everything you kind of want from halo which is you know sort of generally likable people wandering around beautiful alien landscapes heavily armed. So it's definitely enjoyable, definitely worth the $2.99. That's good to hear. Is it like a novel-length one? It's a a novella, so I'm not sure how many words. I I had a digital version, so it was like 500 pages flipping through it on a phone. Um, So I, I guess about, you know, half size. Okay, yeah, that's pretty decent. That's cool. Um, 
I actually, I totally think, don't think I mentioned it here, but I finished, um, I finished the Broken Circle, whatever it was called, forced myself to the end, and so I'm kind of like... One. Is that the one about the Sanshume? Yeah, and the Sanghaley that, like, went off to a shield world. It was a weird one. I'm was, sorry. It was not good. But to be fair, right after yeah. I did read Saint's Testimony, which was really cool. Um, but I, I do need to read another, like, decent, solid Halo book after that. Smoke and Shadow was definitely that. It wasn't anything, like, like world-changing, but it was really enjoyable, sort of, escapism with Halo flavor. That's what I like to hear. Yes. Oh gosh, don't read Broken Circle. If you haven't started, if you want to start somewhere with Halo books, don't start there. Don't even go there at any, there's no reason to. (laughs) It's weird. It's a very strange book. It is, yeah. But yeah, Saint's Testimony is nice. Um, So the other one that I read recently was also a novella called On a Red Station Drifting by Elliot de Bodard. And she was um, apparently a, a finalist for the Hugo and a variety of other awards. And this was sort of on a list of, like, best of, if you want to read um, contemporary. No, no, I don't remember where I found it because I was going to say it's a list of best of contemporary because it was recent, but it's not. Apparently it's published in 2012. But however I got a hold of this, it's a, it's a novella about... Um, a space station and about and the sort of the AI is sort of falling apart and it's about people on this station trying to figure that out and it's very much based on um, sort of the AI is is human or was human and the the way the computer systems work. Everyone has the memories of their entire families. So they can communicate with generations ago, and then they can communicate with this AI as well. And um, I feel like I'm not explaining it very well, but it's really, I, I think, um, I don't want to say, see, I don't want to say this wrong, what um, country it's based on. Because I think it's, I think it's based on Vietnamese culture, but I was like, wait, I want to double check that because I don't know. Um, but I think that that's, that's what it's based on. And it gives it a really interesting cultural angle because there's a lot of references, like whole plot points hinge on characters interpreting poems in certain ways. It feels very much ancillary justice-ish with the way AI are handled. And it's a nice sort of story about family tension. So that was that was very good. That sounds interesting. I mean, the moment you said it was about um, AI, I was like, yep, I'm in. Um, but that sounds really cool. Yeah, you don't get as much from the perspective of the AI as I thought you might going into it. But you get sort of the way keeping a human in an AI role affects the way humans interact with it. And that was really good. I, I think you'd like this one. It's It almost felt like it was in the same universe as Ancillary Justice sometimes. And I think that partially that's because Ancillary Justice or the, the Imperial Ratch has a little bit of the same flavor, but also because of the way the AI were used, it really felt very similar. Okay, that's really cool because 
I've been craving more ancillary justice type stuff since reading that. <laughs> this will scratch that itch. And again, it's a it's an inexpensive ebook, at least in the form I got, so it's oh, yeah. quite accessible. Yeah, I just looked up on Amazon. It was quite cheap. I'm gonna definitely get that. Um, yep. So yeah. both of those, again, that one was sort of not not mind blowing, but really enjoyable. Had some really beautiful imagery. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Um, as for me, I started Catalyst finally. I don't know if I even mentioned that, but I did finally start it. I'm liking it so far. I'm going to try and finish it by midnight tonight so I can finish it before Rogue One. Um, don't know how that's going to go. I still have four hours left in the book, according to my Kindle, so we'll see. Yeah, I was going to say, you're right um, right up against the wire, right? Because you're seeing Rogue One before before us in the U.S. Yep, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I have an hour's bus into the city, so I know at least that will be time to read. Uh, I don't know about the rest of it, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Yeah, you can take it with you, read it while you're in line. Yeah, read it in the cinema. <laughs> as, yep. as the lights are going down, it's like, no, no, I'm almost there. <laughs> um, that's, yeah. that's fine. I I'm wouldn't liking, judge. I'm liking it so far. I like Lyra a lot. Um, I'm not super fond of Krennic or Galen because, like, Lucino's writing is very Lucino. It is it is very him. Um, but he's he writes very, like, like, he's in love with the male f- characters. It's very very um i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but it's it's very in awe of them somewhat like every description of them is just so loving and it's really weird reading it because i'm just like <laughs> chill out bro i think that my favorite bit of description in that book is when it describes galen as looking dangerous in the dark <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> which it, it's it's not a bad book that line no. definitely was very much like what's going on here yeah, some of, um, some of those descriptions is a bit weird, but it's definitely a good book. I'm just every time it starts describing one of them, I'm just like, oh my god, here we go again. Which is nice because favorite. usually it's around the other way, right? Like that the female characters get all this like kind of weirdly yeah. reverent description. Now it's the dude, so I'm so like, this is this is different. But it's yeah, weird. well, I was I was kind of gonna say that it's, he almost described them the way most male authors describe women, which is yeah. Okay, like, I guess that's some form of equality. I yeah, just, I just never seen it done by a man before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part with the Galen-Lyra relationship was probably quite near the beginning, where he writes her this very caring letter, because they're both in separate jail cells, and he's drawn, like, equations and notes about his <laughs> experiments on the outside. Like, even this thing that he thinks that he's going to send away and that is so important, he still writes all over it. And she sort of finds that endearing. And I liked that. After, like, there there was no other scene to sort of rival that. I kind of felt that the peak cuteness of their relationship was right in the beginning. But you, you liked her throughout. Well, I mean, I'm only, uh, I think I'm like 10 chapters in. Might be less than that. Um, I'm not very far in, but I've liked her up to the point where I'm at. Um, that was definitely really, really cute, that moment. Um, they, like, uh, Lucino from the start made it really obvious that they're really in love with each other, which is really nice. Yeah, I liked how that relationship was done, and there is, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to go into details about it, but I thought that it was, it avoided common pitfalls in graceful ways. That is good to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been reading that, and the reason I was meant to finish this last week, the reason I didn't is because I took my dad to the airport last week, 
Um, and I was like, okay, this is a long drive. It's early in the morning. I need something to keep myself occupied. So I went on to Audible and I was like, ha, I'm going to check if the obelisk gate is here because it probably won't be. And it was there. So I got the obelisk gate. Um, and listen through to that. Like every time I had a free moment, like in the shower, making dinner, driving to the grocery store, like any point when I could be listening to my audiobook, I had that book on because it was so good. And I'm really upset that it's over now because I can't listen to it anymore. Um, but just like on one hand, the book is good because it's Jemison's writing and it's that world and it's just amazing. On the other hand, Robin Miles was a narrator and she was so good. Like she captured so much emotion and nuance in the way that she spoke. And it was just, it was beautiful. Like I got so much more emotional about moments than I might have just reading the book because of the way she spoke about it. And it was just so good. Uh, when you talked about this on Twitter, I thought I should look up the audiobook version because I, rarely to never listen to audiobooks and it sounds really good and one day if I have some excuse to listen to something for a length of time I might try that because that book is devastating enough already without somebody adding emotional nuance to it yeah yeah just, I feel like you're like the way you described yourself looking at the listings and just going <laughs> huh like there's so much in that because there's like I want to get this, but it might not be here. But if I do get it, it's going to be so critically important and it might be terrible, but it's here. So it's meant to be. There's yeah. a, a lot goes into picking up a Jamison book. <laughs> I also remember because when I, when I wanted to get Antillary Mercy and I had the same issue that I was having with Obelisk Gate, that I had to wait ages to get it in the library because it was on hold. Um, and I went on Audible to find out if Antillary Mercy was there because one of my friends had it and it wasn't in the New Zealand library. My friend had access to the US library so I couldn't get the book and it made me so mad so I was so worried that was going to happen again because I mean Obelisk Gate only came out this year last year um relatively yeah, recently summer, I think. yeah yeah um so I, I didn't have much hope but actually seeing it there I was like oh my god and then when I got back from the airport and like my drive back because the whole opening like the entire book is just like emotionally distressing and there were moments when I'd just be sitting there driving, like my mouth just opened in horror or something. And if anyone had looked in the car at me, they probably would have thought I'd run someone over and just driven past them or something. Like, <laughs> I looked so stricken. Um, so, yeah. where were you when that thing happened around the middle? Oh god, which thing? Oh, I can't, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> there was... There was a thing that made me cry while I was sitting outside at lunch during a work day. And it was a good book memory, to be honest. I'm going to have to ask you about that when we're not recording, because I'm really curious. There are a bunch of moments that made me cry. Um, I remember while I was, I went for a run while listening to it at some point and had to like pause for a moment just to like catch my breath because I was really upset. Um, <laughs> but when I got back from the airport and I had to go return a book to the library and I checked the holds thing and the fifth gate had come in, not the fifth gate, the fifth season, the obelisk gate so bad with these book names, had come in that day just like, I'd waited so long and I'd finally <laughs> cracked and then it came in that day. Of course. Yeah, so now I just have that book sitting on my desk. I might just read it through again just for the hell of it, because um, I have it. But yeah, really, really good book, really good sequel to the first book and I am gonna I'm gonna lose my mind a little bit waiting for the third book because I didn't have this problem with the ancillary books. They were all out by then. <laughs> I was walking past the publisher um, at Comic-Con toward the end of Comic-Con this year, and they had a poster up with the name of the third book, and I hadn't known that it was announced at that point, so I did such a double take and was <laughs> like, wait, what? And uh, it was good. 
So oh, that's amazing. So I would much not have. I yeah, I thought it had been announced. I looked it up last night or the night before that or something, and I was like, oh, it does have a name. Now I forgot what the name is, but yeah, I'm I'm so excited for that book. It's gonna oh, it's gonna be hard waiting, but really really good books. I was trying to write um some fiction the other day, and I kept slipping into second person because of because of that writing, mm. and I didn't even realize I was doing it. I looked back, and I was like, never in my life have I defaulted to second person before. But the way that Jemison writes is just so good and it just kind of like entrenched itself in my mind yeah it's it's really incredible now obviously we're very um oh I just saw okay I wish I'm sorry I'm gonna interrupt myself I just (laughs) saw I was looking at Goodreads to see what the to make sure I knew what the name of the third book was. And there's a fourth thing listed. And I was like, wait, what is this? And apparently it's a short story. So I don't know anything about this, except that it was a a short story called Stone Hunger that came out in Clark's world. And it exists. So track that down. That's good to know. I'll send you a link later. Awesome. But so other than being completely overcome with emotion, which is a rational and expected reaction, how did you feel about the world building? Because it a lot changes in this book. There was, there was a word that they used in the book that I didn't expect to be used in that book. And when it was used, I got really like <laughs> mm-hmm. shocked out of my immersion a little bit. Because I was like, what? This is a bit ridiculous. Um and after a while, I kind of got used to it, but it's just like, if you read these books, you'll understand what I mean. <laughs> but there was one of the points when I was like, okay, this world building changed a bit because it kind of went out of science into more other things. Um, but, oh, like just some of the things that they, they, they learn about in this book, like um, where Alabaster was, is like really interesting because I, I don't know what any of it really means yet. Obviously, there's still more to be explained, but it's very, everything got a lot more, um, a lot less sciencey and a bit more like magical, I guess. Yeah, it's really expanding, and I mean, kind of like what you were saying. I love twists where the twist is not, "Oh, here's some new information." The twist is, "Oh, here's some information that you realize now that you never had," and your reaction is, "Oh, I should have really had that information from day one." And the fact that I didn't was important. And, yeah. like, that's what this series does. It did it in the first one, and it does it in the second one as well. Yeah, and there's um, moments where it's just like, and then and it's like, because the second person, it's like, you suddenly understand what this means. You're like, oh, my God, I do. Yeah, and you then realize that she's been doing it all along. She's been avoiding something so carefully that you never notice she's been avoiding it. Yeah, it's such a and, good talent. I did a little bit feel that that particular reveal was kind of silly to start with because it's such a, it feels like, it feels more like a sort of common fantasy, but she makes it work. And I love that too, that authors who can make something kind of silly turn out really, really serious. Yeah, that was like my main thing when it first came up and uh, I was sitting there just thinking, this is this is too absurd. This is too weird. This is too fantasy. And then as it got further and further through, I, I kind of just got used to it, and it did really work really well. Whenever it was brought up, I was like, "Yes, that makes so much sense." Yeah, and I'll definitely want to read it again at least before the third one comes out, if my heart can handle it. Yeah, <laughs> because she yeah. she obviously set up so much in that second 
half or third quarter, I don't quite remember, um, or fourth quarter, um, that will be expanded upon, presumably. I had the problem that I read the first book, I didn't read it that long ago, but it was long enough ago that I'd forgotten a lot of it, and every now and then a new character would come in and start talking, and I would just be sitting there like, who is this again? I don't remember. Like, um, the, like, Yika and Yarka, I don't know if that's, I'm actually saying that right, but those two... Every time she brought them up, I was just like, who are these people? Until eventually it explained that they were, like, the leaders of something. And, I, like, because I, I guess they were introduced in the first book because they would have had to have been. But I just do not remember that at all. And every now and then, yeah, a character's name. Like, it took me ages to remember Inan's name. They kept saying Inan. And I was like, who the heck is that? And then eventually they explained <laughs> that. And I was just like, oh, my God, I should have remembered his name. Yeah, well, Ika was one that, like, she was introduced very briefly yeah. and then becomes much more important. So I, I too, had to sort of remember remember that name. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to – I think I will probably read it again before I have to return to the library. And I'll probably buy these books at some point because they're just so good. I'm so glad that I, I picked up these books because I'm, I'm, I'm as in love with them as I am with the ancillary books now. They're so good. I'm actually I'm flipping through my bookmarks to try to find something that's non-spoilery that I can just read because <laughs> so that people understand what we're talking about, you yeah. know, like a half decent example of a non-spoilery quote that works without context. Um uh, the anger is not his own. In his panic, he has opened himself to danger, and the danger that he fears above all others has come striding through the door as if it owns the place already. It says to him, if you wish to live, that can be arranged. Oh, I love that. I love that entire scene so much. Yeah, and that's in context. That scene is even better, but it this kills the man. Yeah, it, it does. It kills the, it kills the Seth. Um, 100% <laughs> recommend these books if you haven't picked them up yet. Yeah, like, I, <laughs> we we could probably just start a podcast called Saf and Megan Read the Broken Earth series if we really <laughs> kept going <laughs> this direction. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> moving in a different direction, we've also probably been playing games. Megan, what probably. have you been playing? <laughs> so... I've been playing a little bit of Pokemon and a little bit of Destiny and not much else. The uh, I do plan to get back to playing something different one of these days. I, I have an obligation <laughs> to this podcast, and I will try. But um, the Destiny started its winter event called The Dawning today, which brings back Sparrow Racing and has some cute like gift-giving quests and some revamped strikes. So it gives you more ways to reach max light level, and it also gives you fun racing. And um, I played that for a couple hours today and enjoyed it a lot. I'm terrible at racing. I think I'm somehow worse than I was last year, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I remember you mentioning the racing, I think, when we had Tom on to talk about Destiny. Yeah, it's a, sort of a, a mini game, I guess. Like, you can drive sparrows. They're basically speeder bikes. You can drive them in the game. But this is specifically racing, so they handle slightly differently. And your whole goal is just to get around the track and beat everybody else. And it's... It's a very well done mini game. It doesn't feel incomplete in any way, and it's a completely different kind of fun, but it's still got that like chaotic destiny aesthetic to it. And it's just uh it's a really good way to kind of 
make time pass fast. Like I'll be playing SRL for ages and go, wait, what time is it? So it it's really engaging and really fun. And I haven't like done much with it yet. So we'll see. It's a long event. It's going to be running two or three weeks. So there'll be plenty of time to get more gear out of it. And I think, and it's free with the latest expansion. So if you bought Rise of Iron, you'll get the Dawning for free. And uh, so I think it's going to be worth worth the price of admission so far. <laughs> worth the somewhat free price. Yes, somewhat free is a good way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um have you been playing anything else? Um, well, I've been playing Pokemon. I'm on the third island in Sun and Moon. I believe we're going to have a longer episode about that. Um, in general, I'm enjoying it. Uh, things I didn't expect to miss from earlier generations was double trainer battles. There are many uh, fewer of them than there were before. Yeah. And I kind of miss the, the way that made you change up your strategy a little bit, but it's pretty fun. It's just super relaxing. It's odd. I, I think I wouldn't play Pokemon as much if I wasn't so stressed. Is that like, <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, no, I get that. Cause I kind of do the same thing too. And I'm really stressed out. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna play with my Pokemon a little bit and then yeah, I feel, I feel better. Everyone's so nice and they've completely given up on any pretense of your rival being your rival. He's I'm just so a nice glad. friend now. He's such a sweetie. I love him so much. He really is. So good, so pure. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been playing some Pokemon too, but not as much as I would like. I'm not much further than when we talked about it last time. Um, but I did play Bound, which is a game, it's a, it's a indie platform narrative game um, that I saw at PAX, but did not play at PAX, because it was at the PlayStation booth, and I did not feel like lining up, because I am lazy. Um, but it's like this game where you play... It kind of swaps between these two stories. So there's like this woman, this pregnant lady on a beach walking down a beach towards a house. And then it swaps to like these weird, you're, you're playing this kind of weird alien princess in this weird alien environment that's all based around dancing and abstract stuff. And the mother who is the queen, who is your mother, is telling you that you need to protect the kingdom from this evil creature. Um, and so you kind of go around the game trying to destroy, destroy this creature. Not destroy them, but like save your kingdom from them. Try and get help from the savior, which is another character in the game. And just kind of getting through these environments and slowly learning about how that story links up with the main story, like where the lady is walking down the beach. And it's it's very metaphorical, uh, which you can probably expect from such an artsy game. It's really pretty, but it's really tedious too, because it kind of acts as a platformer, but it doesn't really commit to it. It kind of wants to just be a walking simulator, as much as I hate that term. It kind of just wants to be one of those. But it was like, we need to have some actual gameplay, or else it's not going to be a real game kind of thing. And so you have these like platformer moments, and it's really awkward because it's a 3D game. So the camera angles can really throw you off on jumping between stuff, and it's just it can get really, really frustrating. It's an easy game, but it can get really frustrating. Um, and the animations, because the animations for the main character are like these dancing animations so everything you do is a type of dance and they don't flow onto each other that much so you kind of just have her dancing in one way and then you push another button she'll dance in a different way and it would be kind of nicer if they flowed into each other because then it would look more like a constant dance rather than like a dance right after each other um like it had issues it's a really pretty game the narrative was quite strong um the story was really really intense 
and not what I thought was going to be because other I'd read like reviews kind of on it, the people talking about the metaphor of the game. And so I went into it thinking I knew what the metaphors were going to be about, and they absolutely were not about that. Um, so I was a little bit thrown. But it's an interesting game. Huh. So it, it sounds like it keep it gets in its own way a little bit in terms of the camera and the, the gameplay. Yeah, a little bit. Like, I think it could be a lot more of a fun experience, but it was a really cute game, and it's not super long. Um, it's built kind of for speedrunning as well, which is really interesting. Uh, I think in the last level I played, like, you can play each level in different order as well. Um, you can pick orders, which took me a while to realize. But in the last level I played, I accidentally found the shortcut that skips the entire level. So I finished it in, like, a minute, basically, when it should have been, like, a nine-minute level. I just kind of... I. I have this. I had this habit of trying to find ways I could jump up onto platforms and do different things, and so I found this staircase that just kept going up, and then well, this ladder rather that kept going up, and then I found the end, and I was just like, okay, <laughs> I guess I did that. Oh, nice! So, yeah, Accidental speedrunning. Yeah, if you look hard, you can find um, a lot of shortcuts like that. I think. I think every level might have one. I'm not 100 percent sure, but that seems. Like, it might. Uh, I also got an achievement for it. And apparently, like, all the achievements for that game are super rare or ultra rare because nobody ever gets them. Good job. Yeah, so I got one achievement out of the entire game, so I'm a little bit proud. Um, yeah, if you have a PlayStation, which I know you, you don't, but if, if anyone listening has a PlayStation and has, like, 20 bucks and wants to play, like, a cute little story game, it's it's pretty decent. No, you said that the interpretations that you read were not what you interpreted as. Do you want to go over sort of what you think the metaphor was? I mean, in the end, the metaphor is actually really obvious. I have a feeling the things I read were people who watched trailers and hadn't actually played the game, because a lot of people I saw were saying that would be a metaphor for um, a miscarriage. It absolutely is not. 100% not. Um, And so for a while, I thought all the stuff happening in, like, this weird land was about, like, the fetus or something. Um... And then eventually, it, huh. the interpretation, like, I don't really want to spoil anything because it is quite a clear interpretation, but it's very much about, like, a broken family um, and parents. And it's it's quite quite emotional, actually, because uh, it has these moments when you finish a level, you go into the, the woman's memories of her past and her childhood, and, like, everything kind of fits together again. You kind of walk around the memory and look and see what's happening, and you can interpret it through that and also through... Um, through the levels themselves, they're based on those memories as you go towards them, and the dangers in the levels are based on those memories too. And so everything kind of... You can kind of interpret everything as much as you want, but once you get to the ending, the story is quite clear. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and then I played another artsy game, and I don't know how to say its name because it's very fragmented and weird. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I, I was like, how are we going to do this? <laughs> you could spell it, I suppose? I don't know how to use it. What's that little T symbol called? Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, <laughs> it's All right, give up on the spelling plan. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's some kind of weird word. Um, it's by Paul Clarissou for Ambient Mixtape 16. So if you search up either of those things, You'll find her. Also, I'll put the name in the show notes. But it's this little, it's really short. It's a little short game about, I guess, you're in a city and it's raining and there's water reflected. I mean, there's lights reflected on the ground. It's just kind of wandering around. It's The theme was after hours. And so it's kind of like you get the idea that you're in a city really, really late at night and you're kind of just wandering through while it's raining. Um, it's a really pretty little game. It takes like five minutes to wander through it. I don't think there's actually anything narratively 
find. You just kind of find another subway entrance and then leave the game. But it's really, really, it's really nice. The music's quite calming. Um, except for when you move, the camera gets like really, really uh, staticky and weird. I think because it's like the rain is hitting your face as you move. Um, and then when you stand still, everything gets clear. And so it's kind of this thing is as you're moving, you can't see where you're going. But then when you stand still and look around and just kind of admire things, everything comes into shape. And it's really gorgeous because it's just light and water. And that's just always pretty. Um, at the start, when I didn't know what was happening, I walked out onto the road and got hit by a couple cars and was really scared because everything was blurry. And there was this weird sound and this bright, bright flash of light. And I was just like, oh, my God, it's a horror game. It's not a horror oh, game. No. I was just a wuss. Oh no. So is it basically just sort of showing the atmosphere of this area? It sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's just like an atmospheric thing. It is really pretty. Um, I kind of want to wander around it a bit more and see if there is more to find. I'm not sure. Like I said, I got kind of scared by the cars as well. But it's nice. And it's a free game too. So it's, yeah, it's cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll have the name of that. What platforms is it available for? Uh, I think it's on the main three computer platforms. Yeah, Linux, OS X, and Windows. So whatever okay. you've got, you can play it. Cool, and we'll spell it in the show notes. Yeah, so you'll be able to find it there. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, so I guess we're going to go on to our main topic now. Cool, so I'm going to... Um... I'm going to ask just like for your background a little bit, how long have you been doing what you do? And then you and Saf just go have a conversation. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, um, I'm Justine. Uh, I've been in the game development industry for six years now. Um, I originally got started in game art. And then now I've moved into marketing more uh, because I just am good at talking to people and I am um, sorry. <laughs> My friend just brought in a coffee, so I'm just going to grab that. Come in. <laughs> All good. Please give me this coffee. Thank you. Very important. Okay. Um. Yeah, and so yeah, I've been working, I was originally in game art, and now I'm in marketing, and uh, I'm a big advocate for diversity in games and tech, especially women in games, um, for obvious reasons, uh, and yeah, I've been with a few companies now, and it's always been like, there's an, either been myself or one other girl that usually works with me, so I'm hoping now that I'm actually with my company, Alta, I'm a co-founder and I'm quite high up um, in the chain that I can start really focusing on uh, making our team awesomely diverse. Uh, we're only small at the moment, but hopefully if things will be good next year, which I hope they will be, we'll start to grow. Um, and I'm looking forward to how our team develops. Cool. So you've been... Um... How, so how was your PAX experience? Um, this year was incredible. I've exhibited twice. I've been to one other, uh, yeah, one other PAX just as an attendee. The first PAX Australia that was in Melbourne, that was like oh. horrible because <laughs> it was raining <laughs> oh. the entire time. It was half outside. Um, but then in, it was, yeah, 2014, 
uh, I exhibited, no, wait, 15. It's 2016 this year. Oh, my God. <laughs> Years go so quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, 2015, I exhibited with a game called Station Stop. It was just this really small uh, iPhone game, one touch. It got over really, really great with a lot of um, uh, kids because it had such a bright kind of pixely art style. Um, and fortunately, the project didn't really take off after that um, but we had really, really good engagement with some of the attendees there, and that's something we really wanted to replicate uh, for A Township Tale, which is our social VR multiplayer experience that I was at PAX for this year. Uh, and exhibiting and attending is two really different kind of beasts because when you exhibit, you end up really having, like, 10-hour days on your feet constantly talking to people, and it is quite exhausting, but it is always rewarding because when you work on – a game for so long you kind of get really jaded about it and then you forget when people have fresh eyes on it how much people just love to like have a go at your game and then the positive response that you get and they don't really see all the little intricate things that you hate about your own project <laughs> <laughs> yeah i yeah. know that feeling um yeah. <laughs> um Wait. I feel like it's kind of always yeah, it was like an that awesome behind experience. the scenes, right? Station Stop yeah, was that sure. like really cute little like train game, right? Yeah. Um, if you remember, there were uh, little badges um, that had little char- pixel characters on them. Yeah. Yeah, that was like my brainchild uh, for our marketing campaign. They were really cute. Um, I remember. Um, I remember being really interested in that game, and then I saw it was iOS only, and I was really sad. Yeah. Everyone, I think, like, that was one of the big things that we realized uh, when we, because we were developing um, mobile at the beginning of this year before we went kind of full pelt into VR. Um, But we had, it was like 50% of the market pretty much was just like, oh, where's the Android? And we're like, oh, like, (laughs) we spent like had all this time, like to really quickly push out an iOS version and porting across like mobile platforms isn't that easy but I wish that we just put in the effort or at least set aside like a month to do a a really quick port to Android because there were so many people that really wanted to play it and were really sad when they could only really have a go on the iPhones that we had there for five minutes and then couldn't really play it anywhere else yeah yeah but that's the beauty of packs. You always learn. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that because I have a lot of friends that exhibit and every year they come out with new lessons they've learned. Yeah, for sure. It's just having such a massive traffic um, of people come through. It's just like, because you don't experience that really ever unless you're putting on a big event um, when yeah. you're actually developing. Like you have maybe like, I don't know, a house party of people playing it or you go to beer and pixels or like a IGDA event, but it's nowhere near like the capacity of people that come through packs. Yeah. And I imagine your team had a lot of people this year because you had VR. Like I, I got to play it before it actually opened up, but were, were you busy all the time? Yes. We had an unbroken line and that was like one of my bucket lists uh, as an <laughs> exhibitor at PAX. So like I've always because I've I've seen other people's games. And I'm like they always have a line, and I'm like, as much as it's nice to get a break when you're exhibiting, it's you want to be one of those games that like 
like everyone really, really wants to play. And I kind of knew already because we were VR that um, people, a lot of people don't have VR headsets, obviously, because they're so expensive. So these like conventions are really the only chance they have um, to test it out and see what it's like. So usually, I remember the first packs. I think there was like one Oculus there and it was just like it was like an hour and a half wait or something yeah. i never tried it uh now it's the other everywhere it's yeah. crazy it's only been like uh four i think this is the fourth pack yeah um it's such a massive expansion i think in such a short amount of time so i really can't even imagine in the next five years how big vr is going to get yeah, like I noticed how much it grew just from last year even because I was media both this year and last year. And last year there was only really like one big VR thing that I got contacted about and that I saw really was Earthlight um, by Opaque Media. Yeah. And this year there was that whole area like upstairs in the um, – not the convention center, in the exhibition hall, whatever it's called. In the oh, other one, yeah. um, like upstairs they had this yeah, whole row play- of stuff. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, and then down in the indie area, they had a whole bunch of VR games too. Like they had a whole VR section there, and they—I don't think they had anything like that last year. So even in one year, it was such a big growth. It was really cool to see, though. Yeah, um, I can't even imagine next year. I don't think I reckon next year they won't put any VR stuff in the indies, or they'll actually have like a specific indie VR section. Yeah. Uh, which they kind of did already. They had those bigger booths, which I think were mostly taken up by um, VR, which was good. We actually didn't think, because we had two booths. Uh, we had one in the um, uh, the Axe Rising, which we had actually paid for before a Township Tale development had started, because um, we were only had been working on a Township Tale for three months when we hit PAX which is a ridiculously wow. short amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got a really amazing team here that just kind of like pumped out that demo really quickly. And the good thing about uh, a township tale is that 80% of the experience is the social. So as long as we can build a really good basic framework, um, the kind of the players make their own fun, which is what we saw when people were actually in there playing it. Um, but yeah, we'd already bought the PAX Rising booth and we didn't, think that we'd actually be able to uh, have the VR headset in there because it's it was actually the whole area was a lot bigger than we thought uh, it would be. I remember I think they gave us more space than last year because yeah. I think it was a bit cramped last year. But thankfully we were able to have – that's why we bought the second booth because we were like, oh, God, it's multiplayer. We need to have mm-hmm. a, more than one person playing at the same time to really experience how fun it is. Um, and then we were thinking, like, what are we going to do with this, like, tax rising booth? Because I didn't want to just not – we were thinking we are just going to make it like a marketing station. Uh, but I'm glad that we ended up putting – the third VR headset up there and that we got that up and running because I couldn't even imagine just like not having that booth actually working as a proper exhibition booth because there I can imagine there are so many other companies that would have just been like we didn't get into PAX Rising and then these people have just like (laughs) bought one and they're not even using it um but the funniest thing was in the second booth where we had two people playing they would see the third person and they'd be like hold on (laughs) yeah I had the experience too I like at some point yeah the third person came in and I was just like hang on where'd they come from who is this (laughs) 
which was really cool. So that it was, was like, I... yeah, it was kind of experiencing, I guess, sort of like social VR without it being like in person kind of thing. Is somebody else who you don't yeah. expect is there? It was kind of cool. I think I'm hoping that's kind of what when we actually um, drop early access. I'm hoping that that's the experience people are going to have when they meet other people online. Um, but yeah, I just. Oh, it was such a rewarding experience, and I just came out of it like so buzzed and so happy. I was exhausted, obviously, but um, no, it was a fantastic experience. Awesome. How was how was your GCAP? Oh, that was also fantastic. <laughs> I only actually been to one other GCAP, uh, which was 2011 when I was still studying, because uh, I went to Academy of Interactive Entertainment in Sydney, and we did like a big trip. Um, I think there must have been mm, at least 25 of us from our grade kind of went down to do a big GCAP trip. Uh, And, I mean, we were all still like 19, 20 at the time, so most of it was spent like blind drunk and then (laughs) going to all the panels hungover the next day. Which, to be honest, kind of was like how it was yeah, <laughs> this year as well, because all the after parties were like catered. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was really exciting um, when we submitted our panel and it was accepted or our presentation, because it, it was my first time presenting a topic. Um, I hadn't actually really had anything I felt that was worth weighing in on. Uh, before getting into VR because I feel like there are a lot of really notable um, women in tech and kind of in those. And as a game artist, I mean, I was I was a decent game artist, but I wasn't like – I didn't I feel like I had anything really to offer that people couldn't already find themselves quite easily. Um, but it's exciting that uh, Ulta's kind of in that group of pioneering uh, developers doing this whole VR area. And the safety, um, for anyone listening, uh, I did a talk on harassment prevention in VR. And that's something that has been talked about a little bit kind of in developer spaces, but it's something that I'm extremely passionate about and I don't think is getting talked about enough, especially now that VR is kind of starting to, take off a little bit um so it was really good to do that talk and then I made a lot of really great connections with people afterwards and someone who was actually at that talk invited me to do the talk again they're from a company called ThoughtWorks um and I did that recently in Melbourne just before I had to move back to Sydney and uh now now they've connected me with people who do similar talks uh in the States and so we're all going to kind of collaborate and then see how I can help shape uh, the talks that they're doing over there and then I can get information from them and then spread that around my spaces here. So that's exciting for me because that's kind of something that I'd like to start becoming more of an advocate for. Um, kind of obviously I'm with Alter, but that's kind of more of like a personal – that would have like my name uh, – less than the company in front of it uh, that I can do kind of on the side. Um, But it's really interesting and I'm excited to see how uh, we experiment with a township tale putting these preventative safety measures in place 
and experimenting with it because when it comes to VR, we kind of have to forget what we've already learned about um, online social game design because actually being inside VR, what you experience in there is very different um, to how you experience an online multiplayer. So, yeah, we'll see how all that goes, but I'm excited. And everyone's uh, taken the information that I've been putting out there really well, and I've been learning a lot. So I'm excited to collaborate with more people and meet more people in the industry who are also really focused on these issues and see what their thoughts are. Yeah, that's a really cool experience. I'm really glad that you got to do that. Yeah, it, I was terrified. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> um, uh, we were already doing so much work for Township Town and getting that prepared for PAX, and then it was like, oh, crap, we've got to, like, put the presentation together. Um, and I already, had a, I already knew what I was kind of going to say, but I'm really bad at, like, having – uh, plot, like uh, just like bullet points and then just going up and saying whatever, especially on a topic that I think is so important to get the facts right. Um, it's kind of less like if I, if I talked about like, hey, Justine, go up and talk about your experience getting in the industry. I think that would be a lot easier, but this is far more serious. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, I, I'm really happy with kind of the presentation that I put together and each time that I'm getting asked to, talk I'm kind of iterating on it a little bit more and a little bit more and hopefully more people I meet I can improve it and then I'd like to eventually put together some and then I don't know put that out into the world at some point I'm hoping now that I'm in marketing and starting to make more media connections that I can talk to someone from one of the bigger publications uh, to put an opinion piece about it out. But we'll see how that goes. That's just kind of like a pipe dream at the moment. Yeah. Um, maybe well, hopefully sometime next year. Yeah, your talk, like, because I went to that talk, and that was a really, really cool talk. It was really informative because that's a – I don't work in VR. I want to one day. Um, but it's definitely <laughs> a topic that I feel really, uh, really strongly about as well because it is really important. Um, for those who haven't had a chance to, like, hear that talk or play Alter – uh, can you explain a little bit what kind of preventative measures you're putting into the game with regards to safety and mm -hmm. VR? Um, yeah, so a lot of my talk revolved around uh, this one article that kind of came out about Quiver, which is a VR game where you are an archer and you shoot down zombies, but you play beside another player. They don't actually, like, you're kind of... Uh, working together with them, but you don't actually need to interact with them directly at any point. Um, and also the avatars, in VR avatars are very strange because it's really hard um, to uh, make the rigs. And so if you're moving your hands around and you're having like uh, proper arms and joints, it looks really bizarre. So usually people, uh, VR avatars end up like a floating head and then floating hands uh and so that's what quiver has it's just like a floating helmet floating hands and people actually can't tell uh what gender anyone would be because it's just a baseline avatar but um there was this really horrible incident that happened where this one girl was playing and then as soon as she spoke the person who was playing next to her who was an, another online person um started to like virtually grope her um and was 
saying really horrible things to her and making really obscene gestures and it made her really uncomfortable and this article that got out that she wrote about it kind of was the first thing that really exploded beyond the developer um because uh, we'd be talking about it in the development industry but it was the first time it had been getting out to the public and that's really bad for VR business because people a lot of people who don't know anything about games are always already kind of like uh, online games are really dangerous and blah 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 and now that VR is just like we're trying to do our best and then like we really want people to get into the industry and realize like how amazing and exciting VR is and then when these incidents happen it's like really bad backlash um but uh so the developers actually saw that and tried to improve it um they already had a measures in place where if you put your hand in front of the other person's uh avatar head like their hand would disappear because uh, to not block vision, but they didn't extend it to the rest of the body. So they ended up doing that. So if anyone puts their hands anywhere near another player, they kind of disappear. Uh, and now also they added in a thing called a power gesture. So they do a specific gesture and then like an invisible force field appears around uh, your avatar and anyone within that space or that bubble disappears and you can't hear them anymore either. But what we don't, like about that is that you can't actually prevent the instances of abuse happening in the first place. So what we want to do experiment with is an opt-in uh, an opt-in system. So when you come into a township tail or even into like via township tail lobby or however we're going to do it, um, it'll be the safest space possible, even to the extent that you can't even hear other people talking or maybe you can't see other players and you can bring up a menu or maybe there'll be like a kind of like a very physical VR, uh, sorry, a f physical UI system where you can like pull levers or something. That's the cool thing about VR is that you don't really need buttons and stuff anymore. Everything's very physical. But we can make that fun in the way that you can turn on, hey, I want to see other people or I'm okay with seeing people on my friends list and people who I don't know um, and I want to turn on voice chat and I want to turn on hearing other people. So that way you can kind of uh, craft your or like manage your own experience with how comfortable you are in these spaces because uh, I know that there are a lot of uh, people especially women um, and non-binary people and any kind of minorities, if they feel like uh, there are others who, especially in online spaces, who kind of like find out about what kind of minority they are, um, it's a very scary thing and it automatically pushes them away from trying it in the first place when they could enjoy it and it could be a really, really great experience. So that's why we want to experiment with this opt-in uh, system and then hopefully we'll have it in the alpha and then we can actually play test it properly and see how uh, people react to it. Something we learned from PAX actually is uh, currently township tail is pretty much a free-for-all. We were just going to uh, manage it uh, ourselves and if, thankfully we didn't have any incidents happen uh, more than you can actually <laughs> – take items out of other people's hands which <laughs> it's like it's pretty funny but it's also like please don't touch like my things yeah they have to um, and so we would have something like 
Yeah. <laughs> so it would have something like you can't actually take things out of other players' hands or belts unless you were actually partied with them or like connected with them in some way. Because um, it is very useful if you're like, hey, grab this, and you can like grab it out of someone's hand like in real life. But if you, <laughs> if they're just a stranger and they're like, I'm just gonna take this now, and you're like, oh, okay, well, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And we didn't even like think of that because we're always like. We just, when we play with each other uh, and play against ourselves, we just don't think about that. We just, you know, we're always, let's test this thing. So that's where our mind is. But when you actually get gamers and people who will actually um, buy your product, seeing them interact with it is like so invaluable. And we learned so many things that was just like, okay, we didn't think about that. But now we know that's how people react to the game. So we can start working around that. Yeah, I like I like the sound of the opt-in system because I remember at your talk or at your presentation there were people like because you had that open panel kind of at the end people talk about their ideas and a lot of people gave ideas that were very much you you fix the problem after the harassment's already happened and like you said like that's yeah. not good because then the harm has already happened um, and I think that's kind of something that a lot of people are kind of doing is that their first reaction is just to go with the typical block system but yeah vr is very different to just an online game yeah for sure and people don't unless you've actually experienced vr you don't realize that you actually uh did i say this like this is like my line that i like to like really push on people but you retain memories in vr as if you experience them in real life and i mean that by if someone's in your personal space in VR, you actually have the fight or flight uh, reaction as if you would someone doing that to you in real life. That doesn't happen to you in online VR ga- uh, sorry, online um, multiplayer games. It's like World of Warcraft, like someone walks up to your character or they're like literally clipping inside your character and you're like, okay, that's annoying, but like, please, it's not like actually making you feel physically ill or physically anxious, uh, whereas in VR... It's such an immersive 360 experience is that when things are happening very close to your face, it doesn't matter if you're in real life or if it's happening to you in VR, you're still getting those like, oh, reaction. I remember once someone accidentally teleported on top of me when we were play testing and I was like, I like jumped back, but I was like already standing right next to a wall and I like bumped into the wall. So it's like even, <laughs> so even like you would have like, the mental um, reaction, it's like, it's also kind of dangerous physically as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might, like, knock something. So what got you interested in VR in the first place? Um, this is funny because I kind of just fell into this job. Um, obviously, I hadn't actually ever tried VR ever before I actually we started developing a township tale. I always really wanted to, but it was anywhere that I was, they always had the massive lines, like couldn't be bothered to line up that amount of time. Yeah. Um, my boyfriend is actually a Dota 2 workshop artist and I think it was last year, I think at 2015 in August, we were in Seattle for the big international tournament there and at the same time Valve had one of their trucks where they were – um, showing uh, people the vibe before it went live. And because my boyfriend uh, had connections and had done work for Valve before, 
they were, he like was able to get onto the guest list and didn't have to line up, but he couldn't get me the plus one Aww. also to go check it out. And I was like, I don't want to have to wait in line because it was so massive and it was like a two hour wait. And it was also like really hot around that time. And so, yeah. And then kind of came back and also at the time I wasn't working in the office. I was working in Melbourne um, remotely and they just started talking about all this. They like made a beta VR channel in Slack and it was, they were dabbling in it and I wasn't really paying attention. And then suddenly uh, they were like, okay, Justine, we're doing this VR thing. So we're going to send you a vibe. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, so nice. they sent one to me <laughs> so I could like, cause like they were like, we're going to need you to test you know, the prototype blows up. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I thought we were making a mobile game. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I was so skeptical because I'd never really tried VR before. And I was like, why are we wasting time with VR, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I got into the prototype and it was like, uh, you know that, that episode of The Simpsons where he like goes into that 3D flatland? Yes. Um, yeah. That's kind of what the very, very first iteration of a township tale looked like. Um, there was no grass or anything. It was just like this gridded floor, flat floor. Um, and then there was a couple, I think there was like a tree, a couple of mushrooms. Uh, and then we had a very basic uh, iteration of the, the avatar. But we still had the hands. I think that was the main thing because you could do a couple of the hand signals. Um, and we got in and they I don't even think we had voice. No, we actually had to be on Skype on top of the actual game to uh, <laughs> to talk with each other. Um, but I remember, like, getting in there and I was like, looking around and I was like, okay. And then I saw uh, our, I think our lead designer borrow me, like, teleport over to me and I was like whoa and then he like is waving at me and I was like sold just from that like just seeing him like because I knew that him waving was him in real life like waving the controller around and I was like and I like waved back and then he showed me like all the different hand signals we could do and then we started communicating with just the hand signals and then could hear each other like laughing on Skype we weren't even talking we were just like trying to communicate with the hands and I was like, I came out of that. I think I must have been in there for like 20 minutes or half an hour and I came out of it. It, it. it feels weird when you come out of VR. It's like you're coming back into reality or like back from the Matrix or whatever. Um, but I was just like, I was like, boys, we're under something here. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I'm so glad that we just decided to put all of our development efforts into it because uh, it's been going really well and – since then I've obviously had to learn a lot about VR and then started getting really interested about the kind of the diversity and the safety stuff on top of it. So it's really been kind of like a, I wouldn't say that I was like super wanted to get into it until I actually was in it. <laughs> I think for a lot of people, VR is one of those things they don't particularly care about until they finally play a game or get into it in some way. And then they just fall in love. It's so true. Because yeah. it's, I think it's really, um, because uh, for starters, it's so hard to get your hands on one and actually have a good experience in it that's more than like five minutes at a convention. Um, yeah. it makes so much, it, especially if you're in like the comfort of your own home and you can really like, you have the space and the time to really experiment with it. I think when you're at a convention, you're kind of like, oh, I only have 10 minutes to play this before they boot me out and it's really loud and, um you're kind of like hyped up on the 
the environment. Um, but I think as VR starts getting more uh, accessible, especially with like Google's coming out with their daydream, which is going to be really um, uh, affordable. I think that's coming out pretty soon. And then the, I think I heard the PlayStation VR came down in price, like a hundred dollars. It's just, as that starts to happen and more people really start to like make the effort or feel like they can afford to purchase it. I think after this Christmas period, it should be very exciting to see like how many people actually get like VR headsets for Christmas. Um, and it's going to also, gaming is like only a very small part of VR. Uh, and people are going to start seeing more VR education, VR commerce, um, VR shopping. There's already interactive games in like shopping malls that they're starting to experiment with. Eventually that's going to become more like VR. Um, I'm really excited for VR eBay because I would like to try on... <laughs> things before I buy them. Oh my god. But I think that's like maybe like five or ten years in the future. Yeah, but I never even thought about the fact that it could be a thing one day, but it totally could be. Yeah, absolutely. People are um we actually I went to a uh oh, was like a meet and greet kind of thing with NVIDIA and HTC. Um and HTC because they have this is just before they released their accelerator x program it was like hg5x accelerator program um but they're very interested in uh funding any kind of uh vr projects that are non-games um because they really want to they know that the way to get people in to vr is to really start chasing after the more casual market i say casual with like quotations because I mean, people who don't really like games, but in the same way that mobile gaming took off because people who quote unquote don't like video games started playing uh, like Crossy Road and Fruit Ninja and Town is Townville, Farmville, and started like pulling down billions and billions of dollars for um, those companies because if VR helps you in your real life then I think it'll be a very people once people realize that VR is not just for games um it's the industry is going to boom yeah I remember I went to a thing we had in New Zealand um which was the opening of the AR VR garage I think which is a kind of a co-working space oh I heard about that yeah um I went to an opening for that and a lot of people who were there who came to see what was happening were not game developers. Like the game developers were showing things, but a lot of people who were there and listening were corporate or like industrial kind of people who wanted VR and yes. other aspects. So yeah, it's definitely definitely going to go other places as well as games. I know like there are companies like PwC, uh, like Commonwealth, all those kind of places are really starting to make like VR meeting rooms because. Um, having a VR meeting room is so much more beneficial than just a conference call. Um, and it's really going to expand the ability to speak to international corporate clients and coworkers. So I know a lot of like money is secretly behind the scenes going into stuff like that. Um, and another thing I'm really excited about is VR therapy. I heard about, I think it's in India. There's they built this or Pakistan. 
um, they built this VR uh, application where um, girls, it's like you're, it's like girls are in a um, classroom and they're being pressured uh, by their male peers, um, like sexually. And it's um, able for them to kind of go through these experiences in a safe environment and build confidence and know and like practice what they can say back to them before it actually happens in real life. Uh, and so that's not like it's exciting to me in the fact that these are um, really, really helping uh, these kind of situations uh, in a really safe environment. Uh, and in a safe way. Also, I know that there are some psychology, I think maybe mostly through um, universities, uh, to help people with phobias. Because even though VR is super immersive, you still know you're in VR. So if you say, hey, you're going to experience this thing that you're really super terrified of, but it's not real, uh, you can kind of go into it and you just like, you're able to keep telling yourself this isn't actually happening, even though it feels far more realistic than um, if you were to play it on just like a video game on a monitor or something. So there are all those kind of applications, which I think most of those things are going to be funded most likely by government bodies. Um, and then the more corporate VR stuff is going to be funded by corporate bodies. So it's really expanding into all these different areas that people kind of don't even realize. Yeah. Um, so, okay, finally, where are you most excited <laughs> to see VR go? And where are you most excited to see uh, a township tale go as well? Um, oh, I think, I feel like I've already answered this. I think, honestly, mostly the VR psychology stuff, because I'm also very interested in psychology. I hope, honestly, I hope that, um, I can make enough money with uh, a township tale to go to university and like do psychology part time. Um, but I think the ability, I mean, it's kind of a double edged sword because I like it for the reasons that it can help people. But obviously, I, like, can you imagine, uh, like, VR entertainment, there's going to be VR like horror films. Um, yep. Like, I can't handle horror films like like normally but um some of those things I reckon could just be so scarring so yeah it'll be interesting to see where it goes because uh, you can really kind of affect people and manipulate people's minds uh in a VR kind of area but I'm really hoping that uh we can build and expand a township tale uh kind of internationally um I really am excited to see what happens when we drop on early access and really have a great amount of reach, um, uh, like in the US and overseas, because once it starts expanding online, uh, I really just want to see, like, honestly, like a world where, like, people from across the globe can come together and play together, because when I was growing up um, in high school, I was very teased and I didn't have a lot of friends and I was an outgoing person, but I didn't have a lot of confidence. And I used to fake confidence a lot. 
but then I would go home and I would play World of Warcraft because that's where a lot of my friends were. Um, and it also, the other thing I'm excited about is I wish that in doing that, uh, it was more than just sitting in a chair and having fun with friends that I had met overseas. Whereas the Township Tale is very physical. Anyone who's played it and actually played it quite uh, and done all the um, the mining and the bow and arrow stuff for five minutes, come out of it, and they're like, ooh, that was a bit of a workout. Like my arm is <laughs> feeling like <laughs> a little bit sore. And that is cool because you're having that really exciting online experience with other people, but you're actually getting kind of like not physical activity, but you're actually moving, which is so much better than when I was playing World of Warcraft and like meeting people online, but I was also sitting in a chair for 13 hours a day. <laughs> I don't think people will be in VR for 13 hours. That's insane. Usually most people get a bit exhausted <laughs> after. If you haven't done it before, you probably about like 15 minutes and you're like, whoa, but you can really, I know people who can, be in it for about an hour and a half oh my gosh um, a lot. yeah you kind of build up a tolerance I think that's another interesting thing that we get asked about a lot about a township tale is like it's not like Minecraft when you can play it for a really long period of time and you do kind of get gamer fatigue but you're still like once you're actually in VR it's a lot more uh like crazy so I think um, we're going to have to really craft experiences knowing that a lot of people probably aren't going to be able to play for more than half an hour at a time. But yeah, that is all the exciting stuff about uh, developing for a new technology that, um, and also making a very unique game that hasn't really existed before is kind of coming up with all of these solutions to problems that don't really exist yet. Yeah, I can imagine that's one of the biggest challenges. But it's exciting because um, a lot of people, I mean, we got a really, really great response from press and media uh, after PAX Australia. And a lot of, I saw multiple times that people said that they'd never seen anything like a township table before and they like had been waiting for this kind of experience that they thought it was really, really unique. Uh, and that's exciting to me because I've never really worked on a project before where I've been able to say that and it be true. <laughs> I can definitely say, because I tried a Township Tale, and I can definitely say that I really liked it. It was a really cool experience. And um, like, if I did have a headset, if my friends had headsets, I'd want to play with them because it's just, yeah. it's a really fun and cute experience. Yeah, and my favorite thing about it is um, you're never going to have the same experience twice. And honestly, you could be in there. You wouldn't need anything else, but as long as you had two avatars and the ability to just, like, throw a rock around and between each other like that <laughs> is something so basic, but it's so much fun. Um, our programmer has gotten really good at juggling inside the game. Um, <laughs> it took him a really long time, but I think he can juggle three rocks at one time now. I tried so I long even to want. do that. I mean, I say long. It was like most of the demo, which was like 10 minutes. But yeah. I tried for so long to juggle three rocks. But it's really hard because you got like, you can't hold two things in your hand at once in, in VR. Yeah. It took me like at first when I tried oh, and it yeah. fell through my hand and I was just like, oh yeah, that's not a thing. So you've got to like throw one up, grab another rock and then start juggling, which is really hard. Yeah. Well, you can try it again because we're going to be at RTX Sydney and, oh wait, if you're around. I know you guys are in New Zealand. I'm going to be at GX Australia. 
Yes, we are. All right, I'll try it there then. Yeah, so RTX Sydney, which is in after February, I think it's the end of February, and then GX Australia is at the end of July, no, April, sorry. So many different cons that we're hoping <laughs> to go to this year. But RTX Sydney and GX Australia are definite. Um, hopefully, actually, by April, we'll have a far more developed demo for you to try. Ooh, awesome. It should be really exciting. I'm excited to try more. Um, yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I feel like all I've done is talk and you guys have just not said much. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like no, the point is, of it. This is very good. I'm kind of in awe, actually, of like, that was a really smooth conversation. So I don't have much to add, except that, <laughs> yes, if you're in VR for a while, your arms get tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, actually, yeah. One thing I would like to say is that if people go to townshiptail.com, they can sign up. Uh, there's like a sign up thing there. Uh, that's how we're getting in contact with people about the potential um, or the alpha that will be coming out hopefully quite soon and then any kind of big announcements where you can find us. Um, and also my email is justine at altavr.io and honestly people can just email me if at any point about literally anything. It can be about questions about VR just in general. Um, if anyone's interested in getting in contact about the stuff that I do in the industry with safety in VR and diversity, um, if anyone's listening who wants to work in VR and has a portfolio, send it through. I just want to connect with people as much as possible. Awesome. And I guess that that's where to find you. Um, so where do people go to find Alta? Is it on Twitter as well? I mean, I know that, but yes. where is it on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> um, so on Twitter, we're at Real Alta. Um, on Facebook, if you type in Alter VR, we should come up there. Um, and then a Township Tale is at Township Tale on Twitter. We do have a Facebook page, but it's not up and running yet. Um, most of the stuff that we post is through the Alter VR um, Facebook page. It really frustrates me because Alter is a really cool company name, but because it's only four letters, like it's so hard to get consistency across all the social medias so i'm hoping that um when we start to get like more followers and be a little bit more like a prominent figure hopefully i can actually have a bit of leverage when i email like linkedin or facebook and say hey can you please get rid of the vr <laughs> at the end of our name because right now they won't let me change it because alta is a place in i think like finland or sweden Oh, um, right. And it's like, you can't have a name that's the same as a place. And I'm like, no! <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. And thank you so thank much you. for coming on this episode. It was really cool to have you on to talk about VR stuff. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I'm just so excited that I can, like, yeah, I'm, like, in this now and I can, like, talk to people about it because it's so interesting and it's such a, like, new, like, not, I don't know, a lot of people are talking about it, but it's still, like, it's just exciting to be able to talk about your passions, obviously. Um, so thank you so much for having me. Yes, no worries. Thank you. And Megan, awesome. where can people find you? People can find me at Blog Full of Words on Twitter. I write for StarWars.com, Star Wars Insider, DelrayStarWars.tumblr.com, and Den of Geek and Sundry. 
but the best place to find me is on Twitter. You do so much cool stuff. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. I am also at my site, notsafwork.com, and on toshistation.net. You can find a lot of my game writing. Uh, awesome. That's our episode for this fortnight. We'll be back next time with episode 20, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, weird. Yeah, weird too. I didn't think we'd be going for so long. But for now, <laughs> have a good Rogue One because next time we're back, we'll all have seen it, hopefully. Um, yes, happy Rogue One. Oh my god, I'm so excited. And don't forget to check the Western Reaches. <laughs>